Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. When it comes down to it, what are we at our core? We are North American Watchdogs. Hello, and thank you for joining me. My name is Elliot, and this is the North American Waterfowler Podcast, episode number 23. I'm so excited to bring this content to you today. I am sitting down with Joel Strickland. You may know him from Surviving Duck Season, a YouTube channel, but he is a professional content creator and has been so for many, many years. He actually had a show on the Outdoor Channel, so his waterfowl content creation goes back a long ways. And today, this is going to be the first series. Uh, I want to talk to Joel about his story. When did he start waterfowl hunting clear up through his YouTube channel? And this is fascinating. It is a really fascinating story. So I sat down with Joel and I didn't know how long we were going to talk. We ended up recording for three hours. So I mean, I'm going to make this into a three-part series. Part two is going to be all about his shotgunning series, which is unbelievable nine episodes so far where he breaks down guns ammo chokes shot string uh, it's just amazing video so if you want to check those out go to surviving duck season youtube channel where you can see those i will also put a link to all of those videos in the facebook group north american waterfowler facebook group so join up i also want to tell you guys real quick my freelance duck hunting youtube channel and all of the hunts over there can now also be found on roku Android TV and Fire TV, which is Amazon. So it's a little more relaxed viewing. You can put it up on your big screen, sit there on your couch and watch some freelance duck hunting. Roku, Fire TV, Android TV. All you have to do is search for duck hunting. It's the only free duck hunting content on those outlets. So go check that out as well. So let's get started right now. Joel Strickland from Surviving Duck Season. Here we go. 
All right, I am here with my buddy Joel Strickland, and we are got, man, I've got so much on the agenda to talk about. I'm hoping that I just don't get so long-winded that Joel gets tired and hangs up on me. <laughs> we're, we're here as long as we need to be. Oh, that that's good, man. I'm, I bet you we could do a three, four-hour one if we really didn't even try and pay attention to the clock. Yeah. So um, we are going to talk a lot with Joel about his gunning series on shotguns, chokes, and ammo. We're going to talk a lot about that. But also, there's been huge transitions in Joel's life, and he just kind of announced it on YouTube in the last couple of weeks of what's going on with him. We're going to talk about that as well. But before we get all into that, Joel, why don't you just give a little background about yourself? I mean, most people that are listening to this probably kind of know you and know your story, but for those people that is their first exposure to you, just give a brief background kind of your journey and from the time you got into waterfowl hunting. I know it's a long story, but whatever you want to give as far as your journey from like 18 until now. Sure. Yeah, so... um I, I went on my very first duck hunt in 1985. I was 15 years old, and uh, a, a buddy of mine called me, a friend from school, and uh, he he and some other guys were talking about duck hunting, and I I wasn't a duck hunter. I was a deer hunter and, you know, did some upland stuff, but uh, they were talking about duck hunting, and somebody said, you ought to go duck hunting, Joel. You'd think that's, that's a lot of fun. And then so this buddy calls me, uh, a few days later and says, Hey, I'm going duck hunting this weekend. You want to go? I said, okay. And I asked my parents if it was cool. And they said, yep. And so God picked me up on a Saturday morning at seven 30 in the morning. And then we drove an hour and a half to get there. So that right away was like, well, I thought duck hunting, you had to get out there early and all that. So we didn't do that. We, we drove to Stuttgart. I lived in Little Rock at the time. We drove to Stuttgart to my buddy's dad's hunting lodge we went in and sat down and ate breakfast at like nine o'clock in the morning. And I'm like, this is not what I'm expecting here, you know? And so we, uh, we went out hunting that morning and, uh, it was just me and my buddy. My buddy was 16. I was 15 and he knew where to go. We went to the public woods, walked in, didn't carry a decoy. He didn't know how to blow a duck call. And I'm wondering, well, how's this going to work? We get out there, he kicks the water and tells me to keep my head down until I tell you to shoot. And so the ducks are coming down and I'm looking up, even though I'm not supposed to. <laughs> and uh, hundreds of ducks poured in the woods and we shot. At the time, we could only kill two ducks. I killed two ducks and he killed his two ducks in one volley. That was our limit and took 15 minutes and we were done. And I was bit hard I mean, that was the the very beginning. I was like, I got to do that again. And so... How much tradition is there with... Oh, I know the, the kick in water. And when I was growing up in duck hunting, my dad had told me about guys kicking water. Mm -hmm. But being in Kansas, I've never been on a hunt where anyone um, did it in mm -hmm. that way. How can you actually do it effectively without decoys? Is it that effective? Well, it was then. Uh, you know, there, anytime I hunt in the woods or if I'm in a tree line uh, where I can fairly well be hidden, you know, I'm going to kick the water. The, the sound of that swoosh, 
you know, uh, it just it sounds like ducks splashing around and, and all that. It's extremely effective. Um, in in the past, you know, dozen years that I've been hunting uh, in Stuttgart, we have a lot of tree line blinds. Of course, we hunt in the woods some as well. But just hunting in the woods or in a wooded, you know, scenario where you're standing next to a tree, uh, you're you're, you're kind of hidden and just kicking that water. They they come right to it. I mean, that that noise of that splashing is is super effective yeah yeah hmm. yeah so anyway that my 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 journey began at 15 and very quickly i was like i'm all in to this deal and i i probably within a year i was learning how to blow a duck call and you know i turned 16 the next year and so i was you know very interested in learning how to do it trying to find people that you know, would take me or go with me or whatever. And, and so, you know, I, I was just, I was ambitious and independent enough just to go do it myself at a very young age. I think about that now and think about how crazy that is. And I'm thinking like, I've got a daughter that hopefully will want to duck hunt one day when she gets older. And I'm like, there ain't no way I'm going to let my kid go out there at 16, 17 years old by themselves, you know, and go figure it out and run. I mean, I, I bought a boat and was running up the Cash River and the White River by myself, you know. <laughs> oh, my gosh. You know, now, were you just learning like trial and error or were you getting any books or how were you learning like the methods? Yeah, you know, uh, yeah, I, I didn't. Uh, I didn't have a lot. I, I would read, you know, magazine stuff. I, I became a member of Ducks Unlimited and I read several magazines. Of course, magazines were a big deal back in the day. Uh, no internet. So you're not looking anything up like that. Uh, and, and I, uh, just tried to connect with people. I'm, i you know, meet people, you know, guys from church, older, you know, men that, that were hunting and, and would ask them questions. Uh, you know, honestly, Probably the the most important thing for me <clears throat> uh, in in my waterfowl journey at an early age was you know just get getting some form of a mentor. I, I was doing it all on my own. I had friends that were interested but knew as much as I did, and so you know li- the blind leading the blind, you know, is kind of the way that worked. But the thing is, is in Arkansas, uh, especially back then, you didn't have to be an awesome duck hunter to kill ducks. I mean, it was, it was yours to mess up. Right. And, and so, you know, we had a lot of ducks and, and it was relatively easy to, to do it. Um, the biggest, my biggest mistakes early on, and I think is most guys, big mistakes is not knowing when to shoot or attempt to shoot, you know, you know, like waiting too late or shooting too early, coming out of there and making moving and that kind of thing. I, I think I had more problem with that than getting ducks close enough to shoot at in the first place. I think it was all really just not knowing when to take them, you know. Did you find yourself just shooting too quickly and not being patient enough, you think, at yeah. that age? Yeah, I think that's what it was. I mean, sometimes, I mean, I am I am um, very patient in general um i've got strong will to you know i'll save my dessert to the end of the meal and and want to save the good stuff for last and and that kind of thing and so because of that mindset you know i'm also going to be very very uh 
you know, not cautious or whatever about not shooting too quickly or giving the birds every opportunity to get as close as possible. And so sometimes I would let them get in and then, oh, no, I should have shot. You know, it's like, oh, I thought they were going to make one more pass, you know, and that kind of thing. And so that's I think that was probably equal to shooting too early was just, you know, thinking that maybe if I let them make one more swing, they'll get on in here and then they didn't. You know that kind of deal. Yeah. That's a lot easier to do when you're by yourself too than when when you're when you shot call it for other people. There's a little bit of pressure to like, well, I don't want to blow this for them. And I find that with by myself, I'm a lot more likely to make that mistake than if I'm calling when other people are there for sure. Mm, yeah, yeah. I, I think and the the other the other thing is as I learn to hunt with a group, you know, honestly, most of my hunting throughout my life when I wasn't guiding, it was really like two or three guys, you know, that's really what it mostly was. And, uh, but I, I found that no matter what you, you really need somebody to be in charge of the hunt. Somebody needs to call a shot. If it's a free for all, it just generally doesn't work out so good. And, and so I would most of the time be the guy that says, let's, you know, shoot him or whatever. And, that, you know, that's a, that is a big, you know, deal too, because you need to know who you're hunting with, learn how quickly they can get up to shoot. Um, and, and whether it's their Johnny on the spot, super fast. And so maybe you should wait just a little bit longer, uh, or if they're a little bit slower to get up. And so, and that's translated for me into the guiding it's now I've got to be really quick about knowing, you know, learning my, my hunters quickly because if I've never hunted with them before, I don't know how fast they are. Just because it's an older guy doesn't mean he can't get up quick. Just as a, because it's a younger guy doesn't mean he's not going to be slow as Christmas. And so, you know, we have to, you know, quickly the first volley or two, I learn, you know, quickly who who's going to be able to get up quick or not and, you know, when I need to call the shot. Because calling the shot is one of the most important parts of being successful. So keep moving forward. So you're um, 16, 17, mm-hmm. you're learning by yourself. Yep. Yeah, so I I I was working in video production um even at an early age I love photography. Uh my m- one of my uncles and and one of my cousins were big into photography, so I learned how to do photography. I had a black room, a dark room, I did black and white photography, uh was a yearbook editor for the photography stuff and the newspaper when I was in high school and and all that and so then when I got, you know, t- when we started, you know, using video cameras, which that was in the era that video cameras were becoming available for, you know, camcorders for people at home or whatever, uh, got one of those and started learning how to do that and got into television production before I graduated high school. And so this would have been late, right at the like 89, 90, I graduated in 88. So yeah, I was late. It's like 87 is when I got into that. I, I actually worked on a movie, a um, couple of movies and stuff when I was like 16, 17, uh, they happened to come do some production in Arkansas. And then I started doing, you know, video production. And then I, I went over to the Arkansas Game and Fish Commission and said, hey, I, I saw that y'all were doing some video stuff on TV. Um, do you have a position available? And that was when I was just about to graduate high school. And so the guy there, uh, 
said, well, we've got an internship if you want to do that. I'm like, sign me up. So I, I started doing that. And through that process, I was able to use like really good equipment that was owned by the state. And I would go out and shoot some video stuff. And then so one time, uh, I guess I was 17 and it was right after duck season in like February. And I had been uh, duck hunting with a buddy of mine that his dad had a place over uh, on the Cache River near Little Dixie. And I had seen just all these ducks over there. And so I thought, I'm going to go over there and try to shoot some video. So I, I grabbed my camera and I was going to go out for a couple of days and shoot some ducks and geese after the season. And I knocked on the door of this this farmer's house and and he, he came to the door and I said, I said, that this property that's right here with all those ducks and geese on it, I said, is that yours? And he says, yes, sir, it is. And I said, well, I was wondering if it'd be okay if I shoot some pictures and some video because I'm, you know, I explained to him what I was doing. He said, well, you just help yourself, young man. I was like, okay. And went out there and shot some video. And uh, the next, I think I did it for two, three days or something. And then, and then uh, after I was leaving, I knocked on his door and said, thanks and kind of went on my way. And a few months later, I edited together some footage that I'd shot there and a couple of other places and the guy and I sent a sent a copy of the video to him and and, and just you know put a little note in there and said thanks for letting me do that and he he uh, and I put my phone number in there and I called and he called me and said I got that video he said that's like super cool like, he said thank you for doing that he said do you duck hunt and I said yes sir I do he said uh, do you have a place that you like to go and I said well I hunt over by Amida and some other places he said well why don't you come see me in September and uh, that was like the probably set me up for my life as far as learning how to hunt the right way, understand how to manage property. I had him as kind of as a mentor. Uh, his name is Paul Holloway. Uh, he passed away this past, uh, this past winter. And, uh, that was, that's too bad, but, uh, he was super, super nice man. And, and, uh, really but was he actually managing that for ducks at the time? Well, he's a far, he was a farmer. He's a big, big farmer in the area. And so he's rice, farming mainly and i think they did a lot of soybeans and some other things like that and so but they just you know the the water you know collected in there in the rain they'd fix some spots up and pump some water on some things and they just duck on it and he had like thousands upon thousands of acres and he said you can have this whatever three four hundred acre area and if anybody comes in there you run them off i'm like cool and that's how i really learned how to how to do it and he taught me how to how to, you know, uh, not hunt, over hunt. And, you know, he'd let me hunt other places. It turned, you know, after a number of years, I wound up, you know, getting to hunt pretty much everything he had and for free, you know, and he connected me with other people in the area. And so that really set me, set me up in, in my late teens and early twenties for, you know, learning a lot and then just really having some great success. Yep. A little bit of timber, yeah, so so we were, you know, his property was along the Cache River, and so we had some some timber that we hunted along there. We had, uh, you know, there were some other neighboring properties that we wound up, you know, getting to hunt. And then and then there was, you know, I would meet people that had private clubs over there, and we wound up hunting with them. And then there was the Black Swamp, uh, which was just north of that that we hunted, which was a public hunting area. And then the Dagmar. Uh, WMA was just south of there. All of that's within just a couple of miles of where we were hunting. And so we, we hunted a lot of that public area as well. And as that rolled on, how, when did you start getting into your um, outdoor 
production videos where you were on outdoor channel and yeah. I don't, I know, I don't know what all you're on. I know you were on the outdoor channel. Right. So I, I'd been doing some, like I said, I was working with the game and fish commission for, I think we did that a couple two or three years. I did that. And then I, I also, I had, I had quite a few gigs that I was doing throughout, you know, my twenties. I, I worked for a church in their media department. The church had its own television station. So I did that. And then I also uh, had my own production company where I did some videos for, for people from different companies and, and uh, you know, freelanced for a big production company in town that did big, you know, Hardee's and McDonald's commercials and things like that for big corporate, you know, type deals. And then this was my early, early to mid twenties. Yep. And, and probably when I was about 22 or 23, I had it as this idea that I wanted to make an outdoor show. And so I, my dad was the business manager for the Democrat Gazette newspaper, uh, which is the oldest newspaper west of the Mississippi River. And they, the, uh, the, the, the outdoors writer was, uh, you know, I got to know him and he and I connected and we were, we talked about maybe trying to do an outdoor television show together. And then it turned into this bigger and bigger thing where we kept connecting more three or four more guys. And before you know it, we had this outdoor show idea that was a team concept that was hunting and fishing both. And we produced a pilot episode and we kind of thought it was just going to be a a show that we would put on locally, but we discovered pretty quickly that it was going to be very expensive to do it. And a local market was not going to support that in, you know, 1994, 1995. And so, well, it was, it was just, yes, just, just before that. Um, at that time, that was when ESPN and TNN had their, that's they did outdoor blocks on their, on their, um, their networks. And so I, I decided I'm going to reach out to TNN and see what it's going to take for me to get an outdoor show. And so I, I mean, I'm a kid, you know, this like, is after you made the pilot, all well, you have right now is the pilot. Yeah. Yeah. I just made a pilot and it was just kind of describing what this show is about. And, and I'm, you know, and we, it spent three or four years just shooting footage. It's really just a bunch of footage and then me kind of storytelling it. And, and then the other, couple of other guys that were on the show. And so I was like 25, I think, or 20, maybe 26. And I reached out to this guy from, from TNN and got him on the phone and, and I just introduced myself and, you know, I was kind of scared really. I mean, I just like, it's, you know, you felt like you were talking to Steven Spielberg or something, you know, it's like, well, at that time, I mean, those shows, those networks and those, you know, those outdoor shows, those were a huge deal. That's all we had to watch. Oh yeah. That was it. Yeah. So it was a big deal. Mm -hmm. Right. I mean, the, the viewership that they got on, like TNN in the morning on Saturday mornings, they, they were TNN was on Saturday mornings and on Sunday evenings. And I think it was like maybe a three hour block or something like that. I can't remember. And so it was like six episodes of different things in the, in the summertime it was fishing. And in the wintertime, you know, fall and winter, it was uh, hunting shows. And, uh, and so, you know, there was, you know, all the you know, Jackie Bushman, the Buckmaster, you know, and Hank Parker and, and uh, did was the fishing stuff, and and then you had Mossy Oak, did, you know, hunting the country, and and uh, Real Tree Outdoors, and Ducks Unlimited had a show, and so it's like I want to jump in with those guys, right? So 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 I I I called a guy named Dave Barton, uh, was the programming manager for. 
the outdoor stuff that they did on TNN. And I, it's like, fake it before you make it. That's, that's what I was doing. And so I was all confident and I called and he didn't answer. And I left a message on his voicemail and I, I just explained, I said who I was. And I was just like, you know, I'm producing an outdoor television show and it's all about this. And I just, bam, bam, bam. I'm just spit it out real quick. And I didn't have a script or nothing, but I, I, I think I did a pretty good job and, and said, uh, I just, I want to talk with you about getting our show on your network. Uh, I've been working in production for this many years and da, 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 and that's it. And so left a message, bam, but two days later I come in and there's a voicemail message from him on my phone. And this is you know, at the office type deal. And so he, I, I listened to voicemail message and it was like, so did you, you didn't have a cell phone at this time, no. right? Just, uh, yeah, right. I, we had cell phones, but I don't know I don't know why I didn't, I don't remember what we did with voicemail back then. I can't remember if we had them on our phones back right. then. That was right at the dawn. I know I didn't have my first cell phone until a, I think about 97. Yeah. Maybe, maybe 96, 97. So this is right at, right at, right in the beginning that. of it, cell phones being, and they were, Big I mean, phones. there was no smartphone. They're, yeah, they're like yeah. that long and, you know. Boat Trader is America's largest boating marketplace with over 100,000 boats to choose from. We offer simple, comprehensive solutions for those looking to sell, find, and finance new or used boats. Visit BoatTrader.com to get started. Whether you're just looking to stay warm during a hunt or need maximum concealment, the clothing you wear can make or break a hunt. At MidwayUSA.com, we understand hunting clothing has come a long way with more meticulously crafted camo patterns, advanced scent control technologies, and weatherproof options to withstand the elements. Hunters have to wait until their favorite season, but shouldn't wait on gear, which is why MidwayUSA offers super-fast shipping. When you're ready for your next system, log on to MidwayUSA.com. I think this is right before the flip phone started, but anyway, uh, so, so we, we, he calls me back and, and he leaves a message and he's like very upbeat. Love to talk with you. Sounds like you guys have got something going on. He said, um, uh, I'm going to be at this shot show trade show. I'm like, what's that? <laughs> and he's like, I'm going to be at the shot show in like next month. And maybe if you're going to be out there, you, we can sit down and talk about it. I'm like, sweet. So I called him, get him back on the phone. And I said, Hey, yeah, uh, I'm definitely going to be there. I was like, I, I just really quick, really quickly looked it up what it was and, and like, okay, I'm committing to this deal. And so where was it? It where was, was it in at? Las Vegas. I think it was. In oh Vegas. my gosh! You yeah. went from Arkansas to Las Vegas. Yeah, yeah. I, and just I, specifically to talk to him. I had been I had been to Vegas one time before for like the the NAB show, which is a National Association of Broadcasters show, and so I was kind of familiar with you know the whole gig out there. I just I, I hate going out there, but anyway. Um, so 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 I so I I committed to, to going out there to it and. And then I, so I went out there and met with him and I had, I had a VHS tape and another fun, I, listen, we could talk about this stuff for two hours, Elliot. I know we did not, but I'll, I'll finish the story. So, so I got, I got on. The, That's fine with me. This is fascinating because <laughs> I've heard all this story, but you've I mean, this is still lots of stuff that I haven't heard yeah. coming out. So I'm loving it. So, so I'm, I'm. I get off. The, I get, I leave the, the hotel room and get on the shuttle bus that takes us to the convention center. And when I get on the, as I'm getting on the bus, sitting in this, like the third or fourth row back on the bus is David Hale, okay, from Night and Hale, right? And, and 
Okay, well, so he's they're they're big into turkey turkeys and deer and all that stuff. They had a television. Well, actually, they didn't have a show back then. They had videos that they were doing. But he was like he's an icon in in the outdoor industry. They had night and hail game calls, and they did they did um, big into, into Canada goose and, and and stuff as far as waterfowl stuff. They're from Katy's, Kentucky. And uh, anyway, so David Hale is like sitting against the window, and his seat's open, and I'm and I recognize who he is, and I'm like do you mind if I sit there? And he said, oh, sure, absolutely, young man. And so I sit down, and I'm like, it's like kind of starstruck, right? <laughs> and so so I'm sitting there by him, and we're, we're you know, I'm, I just I say, hey, I, I'm, I introduced myself to him. I said, I'm, I, uh, I've seen your videos and have got some of your turkey calls. And he, you know, so, oh, well, that's great. Thank you. And, and he says, what are, you, what are you doing here? Do you work at a store? I said, no. I said, I'm, I'm, I've got a meeting with uh, – with a guy from TNN to talk to him about producing a television show. He says, Oh really? Wow. That's great. Yeah. We do videos and stuff. And you know, we talked a little bit about that and, and that was kind of it. And we, we went on our way after we got to the convention center. I had the meeting with Dave Barton that day. I brought a VHS tape, VHS, you know, not DVDs, not, you know, <laughs> and, and, and I, I walked up, had a talk with him, and I said, here's my video. Do you have a way to look at it? He says, yeah. He says, I'll look at it. We just had a – really, it was a kind of a stand-up, you know, five-minute conversation uh, that, that you know, where he just kind of thanked me for coming out. And he said – and I said, I really would like for you to look at what we've done so you know, that, you know, kind of the quality and, and what the storyline, kind of the way we want to do this this show – and and he's, and then maybe we can talk. And he says, "Okay, well that'd be fine." And he says, Let me, "I've got your phone number, so I'll give you a call. Um, you know, maybe we can get together." And I kind of I kind of have felt like in my heart that he was brushing me off a little bit. And and so anyway, about probably that night, I get a phone call from him, and he says, "I watched your video." He says, "It's great." He says, "Can you come back and see me tomorrow?" I'm like, absolutely. <laughs> and yeah, so how exciting was that? Yeah, oh, man. <laughs> and I was like, I was like on cloud nine. So, so I, I, I went back to the, to the show the next day and sat down with him for about, I don't know, 30 or 45 minutes. And he, he said, good news, bad news. Like I said, I love the concept. It's, it's fairly unique. Um, at the time there hadn't been anybody that was doing a, a magazine format is what we called it magazine formatted show so it's just a lot of different things in one show it wasn't like 30 minutes of a guy going and doing something it was like little six minute segments of different things and so we really liked that fishing did did that there was a bunch of fishing shows that did that but not the hunting shows and so he liked that he says it's fantastic he says it looks like you guys got it dialed in on production and i'm not going to have any issues with that with you he said but we just got bought out by viacom and and so we are not sure where we're going with the way that we're doing our, our television model. He said, this is what I think we're going to do. This is what's been discussed. And so what basically television, most all the television um, is produced by independent studios producing content for a network or a network hires a studio to do it, um, that kind of thing. And, and so everybody gets paid kind of like, you're supposed to get paid to produce something. But in but he said, we are probably going to move away from that model. And what we're going to do is we're going to start selling the time slot to the producer. And then you go get your own sponsors to help you pay for it. 
And that's kind of when all that stuff got kicked off. And I'm like, what? You know, and so he says, so what you have to pay them instead of them paying you. Yeah. And so he says, it's going to cost like eight hundred thousand dollars to be on the to be on television. He said, now you ought to be able to sell that. I'm like, yeah, right. (laughs) (laughs) Heart drop. I was so excited last night. And now I come to this. Exactly. Thousand. Yeah. Are you kidding me? Yeah. And so so I'm like, well, and he said, but he said, I know that's got to be overwhelming for you. And, And so. He said, let me give you a, some a suggestion. He said, there's a new network that's coming out next year. It's called the Outdoor Channel. And I let me give you the name of the programming director that because they're launching this thing in the next two or three months. And you need to talk to them. He says, you will dominate that, that network because there's no – there's." First of all, there's not very much content out there. He said, my prediction is in the next five years, it's going to get crazy, which it did. And he said, he said, get on that network, get a track record, and then come back to us. Because once you get a track record on that network, he said, let me tell you something. Play hardball when you go to that network because you got a really great idea for a show. And you might be able to get them to pay you for it. And if nothing else, maybe they'll at least give you the airtime for free, which is what I wound up doing. And so I was I was grandfathered in on this sweetheart deal, uh, you know. Once we got once once the network really was up and flying, we had a phenomenally great slot on that network with our television show for I don't know how many years, eight years or something like that. And uh, it was really successful. We were a fan favorite for like I don't know four or five years. And uh, it was. And so, what good. years would that have been that, so, that you were? So we on went there? on. We debuted. I believe it was in like October or November of 97. And we were on through like, I think 2004 or 2005, I think. Yeah. And were you the, were you the um, front man for the show? Were you the, the personality of it? I I was on it a little bit at the beginning. I was mainly just the producer and the director. And there was most of the other guys that I had on the, as well, you know, with me on the, on the program, they were more of the host you know, I had uh, three or four different guys that were, were hosts of the show. And as time went on, um, nobody got paid anything. I mean, we 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 were just basically, it was paying for some of the production equipment, and it didn't even pay much of my salary. I had to do other things to help pay for my salary. Um, but it, it afforded us to be able to travel all over the world and do all kinds of cool hunts. Uh, we big game stuff all over the place, and we went to some other countries, and went to Europe, and you know Africa, and and were you whatever. having to find your own sponsors with the outdoor yeah, channel? Yeah, just like the deal he was talking about. We did. Yeah, we 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 were sponsored by API Tree Stands and Mossy Oak, and uh, man, uh, Weatherby was our sponsor back in the day. Uh, Winchester ammunition and I can't remember I'm leaving off uh I don't know I think we had Hodgman waiters I think was a was one of our sponsors but but uh yeah so we and and then express boats that was our that was one I was actually our very first sponsor that paid us like real legit money and so you know it it afforded us to be able to do what we needed to do it just wasn't making anybody a living and uh but it was it was incredible incredible uh, opportunity but as as time went on and it was just 
taking up a lot of time. And, and the, a lot of the guys that were on the program lived in different parts of the country. And so, you know, it's like, I couldn't just like pick up the phone and say, Hey, can you come over tomorrow and let's shoot this thing? You know, it's like, we, you know, couldn't get it. And so I wound up having to do some of that because I could turn the camera on, stand in front of the camera. I get my, my assistant, or if I had an intern or whatever, then they could run the camera and I could stand there and talk. And that just kind of, it turned into me doing that. And I developed the skills to be on camera, uh, just really by default, because I kind of had to, I just needed somebody to, I needed more than a warm body. I needed somebody that was pretty good at it. And I'd been directing for a number of years, so I knew what it needed to look like. I just had to, you know, perform myself. So. And, um, at that time, first of all, what was the editing software like at that early stage? Yeah. And you may have said this, but what was the name of the, the program? Yeah. I the, remember. the TV show was adventure bound outdoors. Right. Okay. Yeah. And we, we, had we were at the at the beginning of me producing the show we were in the transition from tape based editing machines to nonlinear is what they called it back then which was computer based editing and so we mm-hmm. we had we had been using digital videotape we were shooting uh, dvc pro was the was a format we'd, we'd also use digibeta which digital beta cam that was the, the other main format that we were using back back in that time the cameras were gigantic i mean they weigh like 25 pounds and mm. uh and so that was the kind of camera we, we'd pull them up in the tree with a rope you know <laughs> and <laughs> and then we'd have these deals that we would i mean the you know the tree arms and stuff that you can buy now we were like inventing that stuff. I mean, literally right. like, I mean, awesome. I talked with cuz over at Mossy Oak and, and, you know, Richard Stafford that was doing all the stuff at, at uh, Realtree, And we were the guys making those things. And, and we would get our <laughs> buddy that had a, had a machine shop to build them for us. So you could strap your camera to the tree and it had to, I mean, you had to be able to do pull-ups on it or it wasn't going to hold your camera, you know? And, yeah, and so, cool. so we, we did that stuff back, back then in the, you know, in the, in the nineties, but the can the the editing software the very first nonlinear editing computer that I used was called a Postbox, made by Panasonic, mm-hmm. and I actually worked for Panasonic for a, a couple years on the, you know, on that project for them, and we did a bunch of testing. We went and shot video of the space shuttle launching, and went to Daytona and shot the the mm-hmm. Daytona 500, and did a bunch of cool stuff with that, and went to the wow. Air Force Base and shot stuff there, and and then we and so I I got inside you know, deal on DVC pro DVC pro format and the, and the post box. And we did that for a few years and then I graduated to, um, the next newest platform. You know, we did uh media composer, avid media composer. I did that for a few years. And then, we, then we did, uh, 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 did the final cut pro. Now I'm using DaVinci resolve. That's, that's what's, behind me if you're looking at me on on the camera now but davinci resolve mm. is is the uh editing platform that i've been using for a few years it's incredible that used to our editing we used to have an entire room of decks and time-based correctors and and effects and all these different things that we used to to do very basic simple stuff on on a television show that would take forever to edit 
and then you couldn't like hit the undo button. You know, it was like, it was there. Yeah. <laughs> oh, wow. Or, and then Awful. fast forward now that you, you could essentially edit the same thing or like a million times better on a laptop computer. So, mm-hmm. you know, of course, what, what, you know, the, a, a big desktop deal is, is certainly more powerful than a laptop, but it, it's just, it blows my mind the technology that's changed from the early 90s to, you know, to today. So, what brought your show to an to an end and then where did you go from from there so i i took on some partners and without getting into the whole nitty gritty uh i i just had it basically stolen from me and it was it was too bad it was a sad sad deal uh you know i i was young and naive and should have stood my ground maybe a little bit more than i did but you know it 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 is what it is and and you know some not everything has to last forever and it is as big of a, of a blow that was to to me uh you know in my you know you know just the way you feel about about things it taught me a lot you know it taught me a lot about business it taught me um it taught me to rely on god more than than i not not that i wasn't but it just it's like I, I gave it all to him and said, I don't know what to do now. And, and it just, it just, it was a reset for me. And, and literally I, that all happened in pretty much in the middle of, of a hunting season. And then I wound up going to the shot show and I ran into Jimmy Houston as a professional fisherman, really famous especially at the time and and i had i'd shot some commercials with him and he was at the shot show because he was also he's a big hunter as well and so i ran into him and and about that time hank parker came up who's also a professional bass fisherman very famous guy and and uh he introduced me to hank and hank i actually knew hank had already known hank but, or, you know, who, or he, he and I, he knew who, who knew who I was because he'd seen my show, which I didn't know. That's kind of cool. You know, you find out these guys that you kind of think are awesome. And then they had seen you on TV and they think you're cool too. So that was kind of neat. But, but he says, he says, I need you. I need your help. I'm like, really? He says, you, you produce that show that you do, don't you? And I said, well, yeah, that's like, I did. I don't do it anymore. <laughs> but, uh, he says, I need some help cause I'm producing, I needed some help producing a new show that we're doing. So I wound up working with him for a number of years, producing content for his or producing his television show for, uh, for a while, shooting some video for some other projects he was working on. And he was, he had, he had uh, purchased Kamir deer. And so I was helping him pr- to do all their content and commercials and, promotional videos and everything for that product that he was doing. And this and, is like 2006, seven, yes, eight, nine, yep, 10 2005 range. or six, five, six, I guess, 2006. Yeah. And, and so we did that for, for a while and that was, that was incredible. I mean, it was really awesome to be able to work with him because he's exactly the guy that you think he is when you watch him on his fishing shows and then on his hunting shows, uh, you just go, man, this is like the greatest guy. I think I want to be his buddy. I want to go fishing with him or I want to go hunting with him because he's the, he's, he's awesome. And, and, uh, so I, I learned a lot from him about business. Um, I learned a lot about him about being a great communicator because he is one of the best communicators out there for the outdoors. Uh, he, you know, the, the greatest thing that I learned from that guy was 
and, and, I've, and I feel like I translate that into what I'm doing with my content now with Surviving Duck Season is don't tell people what to do. Tell them what you do. I like to do it this way. And you automatically endear people to you because you're not a you're not a te- you're you're a teacher, but you're not. You're not telling them what to do, but you're showing them how to do it. And what I found works best for me is this. And this is how I came up with this. And then in automatically people let their guard down and then they they understand, you know, that you're not just trying to be this guy that knows everything. You're you're like this regular guy, but you really want to help people learn how to do, you know, do the fishing or in his case, or, you know, the duck hunting and stuff like that, which was what, what you and I do, Elliot. Right. Right. At Midway USA, we know the AR-15 is one of the most popular rifles in modern American history. Known for its modularity and widespread use, it's often considered essential to any gun collection. The essential things you need to run an AR-15 are usually always in stock during shortages. Things like magazines and 5.56 ammo. Whether you're looking to buy a new AR-15 or buy parts for your modern sporting rifle, log on and for just about everything for the outdoors, shop MidwayUSA.com. Knives, machetes, saws, and shears, multi-tools, shovels, swords, axes, spears, hatchets, and tomahawks. If it cuts, snips, slices, or chops, MidwayUSA has it. Find great gift ideas in our huge selection of pocket knives and other everyday carry folding knives. Make a statement or create a family legacy with one of our top-of-the-line hunting knives. We've got a great selection of manual and electric sharpeners, too. For just about everything for the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. So that brings you up into, what, about 2007, 8, 9? Where'd you go from there? Yeah, 2009, you know, we, he, uh, I, I kind of had spent the, the couple of years before that training his sons quite a bit in production um, and we wound up having to kind of split ways because did I lose you? Okay. Um, in 2009, I wound up losing, uh, we, we wound up breaking our contract with one another be, because, uh, really the economy was just really going down the toilet. Uh, Obama had been elected the year before and I lost a lot of my regular gigs that I was doing, not just with him, but with everything else, everybody kind of canceled contracts. We don't want to, we're kind of waiting and seeing how this new president's going to do, going to do. And then Hank came to me and said, Hey, I I've lost half my sponsors, my fishing on my fishing side and on the hunting side. And, you know, you've been, you've been helping my boys learn how to do this. And I just want to kind of keep you on to do a few little things, but I, I can't do the full time or not one full time. Cause I was doing other things too, but I, I can't do the full contract with you doing everything turnkey start to finish. I'm only gonna be able to do a little bit. Uh, no, obviously no hard feelings. It was a big blow to my business. Cause that was about half of my business. And then everything else that I'd done, the other half was gone too. And so it kind of put me into another, another spot. And so I, I decided at that time I wanted to start doing another outdoor show. And so I started working on it, started shooting video for it. And, uh, it just, I wasn't getting any traction because I couldn't get sponsors to, to bite off to do it, even though I had lots of relationships in the industry, cause I still was working in it. And, and so the only, the only traction that I had was outside the outdoor industry. 
Uh, I started doing music videos, uh, working with uh, a couple of different production companies and some buddies of mine that had production companies that were doing things that were outside the outdoor industry. And uh, so I, I found myself doing a lot of that, which paid way better. Uh, it was a lot. It wasn't near as fun, uh, but it paid a lot better. And uh, and then, but then when it came to the winter time, I just didn't have a lot going on. And I, before I was like producing outdoor shows, so I'd be we'd be doing hunts, you know, deer hunts or duck hunts or whatever. And because I was kind of out of that world, I and the the regular production world kind of, at least the stuff that I was doing, it kind of scaled way, way back when you started getting into Thanksgiving and after. Well, it's duck season for me, so I'm like, well, I'm just going duck hunt. And as I, you say, as fate would have it, it isn't fate, you know, but, you know, as as the Lord, you know, blessed me with new opportunities, uh, I, I met a guy who had been watching me on my television show years past. We got to talking he had a duck guiding business and he asked me, do you know anybody that guides? I'm like, well, I used to guide quite a bit. And he said, well, he was starting this duck guiding deal and the name was Scott Kerr and it was called Cypress Crossing. And I helped him out the next weekend because he needed a guy to help him the next weekend. And it turned into every day, the rest of that duck season. And then every day of duck season since then up until this past duck season. And what was your first year with Cypress Crossing? That was in like 2010. 2010. Yeah. Okay, so you were 13 years mm-hmm. with, with Cypress Crossing. Yeah. Actually, uh, I think now, it was exactly all... January 2011 is what it was. I'm sorry to interrupt okay. you. Now, during this whole phase, all of your production and your television shows, how did that affect your duck hunting life? Uh, obviously, that you're trying to make money, so that's probably taking priority. Were you able to be avidly duck hunting how many duck hunts kind of were you doing per year at that time yeah um i duck hunted a lot um really i i there wasn't a there wasn't a very big big time span where i didn't hunt a lot except there's about three years in there around 2008 till about 2010 I produced I produced content for Drake, did a bunch of their television shows when they were they were on television, uh, Drake's Migration Nation. Uh, I did a bunch of those episodes in that time frame. I actually think I I think I may have I've, I edited a few. I think in 2011, I think is when kind of most of that ended. But and so, so so those years when I was producing those shows for them, uh, I didn't do any hunting and I was just running a camera or I was kind of a secondary, you know, as a producer or whatever. And, and I didn't really hunt that much. Then I, there was a couple of guys I produced some videos, some duck hunting videos for in that time frame. And so probably from about 2007 to about 2009, 10, uh, I didn't duck hunt much, but then starting in January of 2011, all the way to now, I mean, it's like every day, every day. And then, and then I was, it, because that was so good for me, you know, I started shooting the video stuff for me, you know, for my YouTube channel. And then also, um, I was venturing out and doing more hunts when it wasn't duck season. Cause I couldn't hunt on my own when it's duck season in Arkansas. So I was like, well, I'll go early to somewhere else and do some out of state. So I wound up spending about 20 days, of, 20 days duck hunting somewhere else when it wasn't Arkansas season. When you got into the full-time guiding, did you find yourself just longing to be off on your own and duck hunting? 
you know that I, if I had a dollar bill for every person that asked me that, you know, Elliot, it's that's a very common question. I think almost every guy that sat in a blind with me asked me, "Do I miss getting to hunt on my own, or when do you get to hunt?" That's what that was. That's the way they put it. When do you get to hunt? And 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 I I tell them this is and it, and this is not just some pat answer. It's not just some something that sounds nice. This is what I believe. I hunt every day and I'm having a ball and me taking, me taking you hunting, as I'd say it to them, I'd say me taking you hunting is just as exciting for me as it is if I'm taking my buddies or me going hunting on my own or with one other guy or whatever, you know, I, I mean, I shoot when I'm, when I'm guiding, I shoot a little bit and because I'm, you know, I can legally shoot my limit of ducks. Right. And, and I don't usually shoot my limit of ducks because I'm trying to, you know, I want to make sure that we don't have an accident, you know, and have an accidentally one over for some crazy reason, but I usually shoot two or three ducks, you know, and, and that's cool. But, uh, and so we got a little bit of a buffer just in case I have an accident. We don't really, you think you would think as many times, as many guys as I have hunting with me, you would think you would have an accident, I can't even honestly remember an accident, uh, but you you would think you would get that sort of thing every once in a while, as many many guns as you as we have, because sometimes we'd have seven or eight guys hunting with us. But uh, but yeah, you know it's 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 my passion to blow the duck call, to run my dog, and to take people on the trip of a lifetime, and and that's what does it for me. And so it's nothing more exciting to me to watch the ducks do it, and then watch them fall when I tell the guys to shoot them, you know? Yeah. And I can say I was down there hunting with you guys, shoot, I don't know, three, three, four years ago. Um, and that's how you, everything you described about yourself is what I read is that you, and these were most of them. One of the days we had a, a good hunt, but the other, they were slow hunts, but you were jovial. You obviously enjoyed every aspect of it. And you're a people person. Like for me, there's no way I could do that because I'm, I'm not the people person you are. I'm more of an introvert. I have to have that alone time. And, and, and you seem to really soak up the whole people part of that job. Even, even on those slow days, you seem to be having the time of your life. So yeah, that, well, that it, definitely makes a lot of sense. It, it's, you know, when you, when you guide people, you've got to be an entertainer, you know, you just, otherwise if it if it is a slow day because not every day is a banger day that's just i mean i don't care what people tell you there's nowhere that is a banger day every day and and so you what do you do when it's a slow day and you've got guys that have paid to be there and either they don't see the ducks or the ducks aren't working in for whatever reason and so you you got to be a likable person you got to have a bag of tricks you know to talk about and ask questions and you know, uh, there's nothing I have, I have been on a few guided hunts before in my day. And I can remember a couple that it's like the dude, all he did was blow his duck call and never say a word. And man, it's like, that is not fun. I don't know. I'm not going to be that guy, you know? And so, yeah. When I'd say on a slow day, the person that's kind of calling the shots, having a jovial attitude certainly sets the tempo. It really does. And that's got to be a, a lot of pressure, I would think. I, that's the only time I've ever, um, and I want to talk about this a little bit more later because I'd love to do a comparison of your experience with me in Kansas versus mine with you in in Arkansas. Mm -hmm. But um, 
I, I think it'd be a lot of pressure because these guys are paying good money and it's a slow day. And what I, what I got from you is like, well, this is just hunting. And it's like, I'm not going to feel sad or feel bad if we don't have a good hunt. We're still having a great time. And it kind of sets the emotional tone. I mean, you did a fantastic job of that for sure. But that would be hard, I would think. The, just the feeling of that pressure. I, I, I can tell you, um, I've heard, I've, you know, you read on social media where guys are talking about going on guided hunts and have, I've been on a tear. I went on a terrible hunt. It was the worst. You know, those, that outfitter is horrible, blah, blah, blah. And, and I think what they, some of the time, the, the feeling that those people have is that the outfitter or the guide didn't care about them. They didn't care that it was a crappy hunt. You know, it's like they just were running people through the line like cattle and, I can tell you most guides that I know, and I know there's some bad ones out there and the bad ones are always get the publicity, you know how that goes. But most guides, whether it's a duck hunting guide or any other type of hunting, they, there's nobody that wants success more than them. Okay. I mean, it, I, I, it, it kills me when I've got a group of guys with me and we've got three ducks in the blind and it's 10 o'clock in the morning. I mean, it just, it, it, it's just, I hate it. And, you know, it, it's, what but, it, and so, but it, you, you having the positive attitude talk, you know, I, I'll, I'll share stories about, you know, the craziest thing that ever happened to me or the worst group that I ever had, or my dog did this cool thing the other day, or, you know, something really fun that happened. I mean, I, I try to temper, especially if, if they've had, if, if this is their first day with me and it's a bad day, I don't usually say, man, you should have been here last week. You know, I don't get into the greatest hunt we ever had kind of deal unless they ask for it, you know, because then you're setting yourself up. But you, know, you learn how to how to handle that stuff. But, yeah, I mean, you, you got to have some bag of tricks, you know, with things to talk about and, and you know, make make it a good experience for them. Well, in a place like that, too, because I had never been I had been on a one or two other guided hunt experiences, but I'd never been on one that was like that the whole trip is an experience from hanging out into the lodge to the fantastic meals. And you were the chef there. I don't think we're going to get into that. We could go hold down that road too. that. You were, you yeah. got my wife to eat duck, Joel. Right on. I cannot tell you what an accomplishment that was and like it. Yeah. She didn't just choke it down. She liked it, mm -hmm. <laughs> but it's just a whole event. You're with guys, you're hanging out, you're talking, you're having a couple beers around the fire. You're hunting in the morning. It's the whole package is an experience. It's like, being super successful is fun, but when you, the whole package itself is a blast, no matter what, is how I is how I felt. It was a really, really fun, eye opening experience. But I want I would get to when did you decide to start your YouTube channel? What year was that? Why did you start uh, decide that? And and kind of take us through your your YouTube channel. Sure. So. Probably when I, well, when I first started hunting at Cypress Crossing, uh, Scott asked me, cause he, you know, he knew I did production stuff. He said, Hey, is it possible that you could help me put together a little promo video for our place? And so like, Oh boy, can I? Yeah. I mean, you know, and so, <laughs> and so he, I, he, he knew you of your talents. I would oh say. yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, we, we, I, I brought a camera out several days and shot and then I had, you know, some camera guys that worked for me and they came out and shot video and we did that quite a bit. We made, made a promo and, 
and I can't remember where all we put it. I mean, we put, you know, we put it on Facebook and stuff like that, but I don't remember where else we did it. I, it may have just been all we did was put it on Facebook, but it, it really helped him sell hunts. And, and I mean, I can remember, uh, we booked a bunch of hunts, you know, because of that. And, and it just kind of, you know, kind of started snowballing for, for the success of the lodge. And, uh, and so I, I kind of had it in my mind and this was probably in about 2015, 2014, 2015. I, I had it in my mind. I want to do like a reality show about duck hunting. And I, I, yeah, I guess that duck dynasty had already, yeah, I guess duck dynasty was already doing their thing, but and I wasn't wanting to do that. I, I wanted to kind of do like this thing where, duck guiding and the, and kind of following what it, what we did. And it wasn't just about going out and shooting a duck, but all the behind the scenes stuff and getting the place ready and stuff when it's not hunting season. And then, and then all the stuff we do in the lodge and, and in between the groups when they come and go and all that dynamic and, and negative and positive and, you know, getting mad at each other, whatever, you know, all that stuff that you see in reality shows. I just felt like that would be a great idea for a, you know, a show. And I thought, well, we can do that and I can maybe get that on one of the outdoor networks or maybe pitch it to A&E or one of those networks. And, and so I asked Scott what he thought and he was kind of a little timid about it, but he's like, well, yeah, okay, we, we can shoot a little bit. And so we shot some stuff with it and we, it, we re- we didn't really put anything together for a couple of years. I think in about 2016, maybe, uh, I started kind of wanting to put some of it together and, uh, and then I needed like, well, what are we going to call this? You know? And my wife and I, she's, she's a brilliant creative person that we, we always hit a lot of ideas back and forth. And usually what happens with her is she, she comes up with a good idea and then I tell her it's, it's not any good. <laughs> and then, and then, and then a little while later, it's like, that actually was really good. And it's not, I promise you, it's not me. It's not an ego thing with me at all. It's just, I don't know. My ears just don't work right. <laughs> and, and you know, what you should do is just a few <laughs> days later, just tell her it was your idea. And come over there. Oh, no. I, oh, I thought of that. I've first, done honey. that before. That's not a good idea. <laughs> but, but I, anyway, I, we, we were, you know, when when you create a name for a product, a brand, a, a a TV show, a content deal, or whatever, it's so important. I've worked in marketing along with my television stuff for years and years and years, and so there's just things that you do to help you be successful. And so, creating the right name and being able to do what we call you know, creating a name that is in clear blue water so it's not confusingly similar to something else so that when you do your SEO for it, it rises to the top really quickly. And so it's got to be catchy. It's got to be cool sounding. It's got to, it doesn't have to mean something because there's plenty of names out there that don't really mean what the product or the brand is about. But if you can make it about that, then it's all the better. It makes it easier. You don't have to explain to people what it is you do. So I'm not sure exactly how the name came about, but Surviving Duck Season is what she and I came up with together. I think it was probably more her than me. Some, you know, Because what is it that we do when we're taking people hunting and guiding every day is we're surviving duck season. <laughs> and, and so it seemed like, well, this is kind of tells what we do. And so 
the idea originally of the of surviving duck season, we decided to do it on YouTube after you know, the TV TV stuff has kind of been going downhill, as we all know, for a number of years, and everything is on demand now. Whatever we can beat that around some other time, but but the 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 YouTube thing, a guy convinced me I needed to do YouTube. And he said, you've got so much content, things that you've done from years ago that you can use. And, you know, all the stuff you're doing now, it'd be a great platform. And you don't cost you anything to do it other than your time and effort and whatever your expenses are to produce it. And so the the idea of, of surviving duck season initially was just what I said. It's about me and my my colleagues, you know, my duck guide buddies and, and then me cooking and my wife cooking at the lodge and all that stuff. And that was really what it was about. And, and so that's kind of the, the intent. And so if you go back on my YouTube channel and you scroll all the way to the very first few videos, the first three, there's, I think we did a couple little, I don't know, little nothing videos, but the first three videos that have any substantial amount of views, I think they've got like maybe 15 or 20,000 views on them now. They were still not a lot, but those three videos were the three most expensive videos I ever, well, I say that they're, they're not now cause I produced some expensive ones last year, <laughs> but, but at the time, yes, you did. Yeah. <laughs> yes, but, you did. <laughs> but, but at the time, those three videos were the most expensive videos I'd ever produced, you know, from right. all the things I've done. Those videos, I, right. They were crazy. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of time and effort and we traveled all over the place to do them. And it was about, me and my duck guiding business and um and a buddy of mine on the east coast that that does sea duck hunting jeremiah brooks uh, he, uh his, his thing over on the east coast and then my buddy jason craig who's a duck uh, he's a duck guy but he's also a duck dog trainer uh duck dog uh, dog trainer and that was about the three of us and we kind of interchanged and we did three episodes of that and at the end of those three episodes it was like this is like so much work and I've got like a gazillion dollars in this thing and I got like 500 views and that was probably 300 of them were, were people that I sent text to, Hey, watch my video. <laughs> <laughs> and, and it was so disheartening and depressing. And a friend of mine that I went to church with, he, he was at the time he was my, my guru for YouTube because he was working, he worked a little bit on a YouTube channel and he said, you're not doing it right. I'm like, what do you mean? He says, he says, you're making a television show and putting it on YouTube. And he said, he says, not that you can't do some of that, but you have not built any credit with your audience. Nobody knows who you are, even though you're on television. That don't mean nothing. He said, these people want you to be their buddy. And they want you to talk to them as if they're a person. They want and that not pseudo relationship with you. Yeah. And so immediately I completely transformed. And then after that, that this was, this was in 2018. Okay. When I finally did started doing all that stuff, 20 late 2018, early 2019. And, and so I started, you know, I like, okay, I've got to learn this and I need to watch more people's stuff and see what they do and how they do it. And, and then I launched out into learning everything I could. I watched all the YouTube gurus on YouTube. I wound up connecting with some companies that actually consult and teach you how to do it. I spent a lot, a lot, a lot of money uh, on learning how to you to do YouTube. You know, I didn't need to know how to storytell because I did. That's what I do for a living. Uh, I didn't need to have all of that. That stuff's good. 
I just need to know how to tell the story for the audience and what do they want, you know? And so I started kind of throwing some things out there and some of the most basic, you know, mindless to me, mindless videos that I produced were the most successful videos. And I'm like, well, this is crazy. I want to do all this other stuff. And, you know, I like do this thing where I'm telling some little basic tip and it just blows up. And so I learned that, well, maybe I need to do more teaching and teach people how to do duck hunting because they're gravitating to that. And, and I know this stuff. I mean, and I took, and I, and I go back to my buddy, Hank Parker, and he said this to me, he said, I make tips about things that you and I, Joel, when he was talking to me, he said that we do in muscle memory. We don't even realize we're doing it, but guys that go hunting, you know, once a week during hunting season or even less, they are living vicariously through us on television. They hang on our every word and they learn things that we don't even realize that, that that's something that we should teach them. And I found that to be so very true about duck hunting. Yeah, there's a, there's plenty of guys that know as much or more than I do about duck hunting, but the people that, you know, that are watching the YouTube videos and they're typing in how to ball away duck call, you know, they're looking for that stuff. And there's way more of those guys on YouTube looking for it than there are the guys that know how to do it all. And so that's kind of what I do. I, I, all the little things I think about, that little thing that I do that that doesn't seem that important to me, I, I share it. And, and a lot of times those are the very things that people comment about. So I hope that you enjoyed that part one episode with Joel Strickland from Surviving Duck Season. On the next episode, we are going to go into his shotgunning videos on YouTube. And again, if you have not seen those, Surviving Duck Season, it's on a playlist. Check them out. Just had a great time talking to Joel. So next week, we will be coming back with part two, all about the shotgunning. In the meantime, go ahead and go over to patreon.com slash freelance duck hunting and check out what we've got going on over there. I hope that you guys are finding a way to keep busy during this off season every single day. The 23-24 season's coming a little bit closer. Well, until next time, this is Elliot with another episode of the North American Waterfowler Podcast. think with four of us spread out on a tiny island that the task of tagging a whitetail would not be a big thing but as i've learned no matter where i've been whitetails can be damn tricky pursuing wild game in wild places tune in to hunt stand presents saturdays at 8 30 p.m eastern waypoint tv the destination for outdoor entertainment